0: Hey, welcome back to awesome. with I'm Steve, and joining us this week, just so I don't forget about him, ciao, Jack Easton. A little hey, Italian for you there.
1: D- yeah, dang, yeah, that's right. Because you're you're heading off to Italy to. I am. Do whatever they do over there. Eat calzone and, and cannoli, possibly inside of each other. You could do that. Yeah.
0: Cantaloni, calzone. You could totally do that. Easy. I just, I, that seems
2: like more of an American
1: thing <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, <laughs>
0: I mean, when I when I think of Italians, I, I just assume they're like people who live in New Jersey. You know, there's, there's no yeah, no, the,
1: the greatest food hack absolutely is putting one perfectly good food inside of another. And I think a lot of Italian <laughs> cuisine really is open to that concept. Ravioli, mm-hmm. you could but you could have ravioli uh, inception. Theoretically, there's nothing to stop you from doing. It. There's no laws. You
0: can just do whatever you like. I was thinking about get, just getting, like, a whole-ass log of uh, mortadella and just kind of carrying it around and nibbling it on it for, like, eight days. But we'll see how it goes. What was the um, Soprano thing? can't eat ravioli, though. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's No
2: a, ravioli for Steve.
1: That's a shame. Listen, no, Steve, you gotta it, do the Soprano thing and go around going, commentatore or whatever to everyone in Italy, and they just <laughs> look at you, give you side and, like, fucking an American.
0: Yeah, I, I promise I'm going into this, like, strongest American flex possible, which is uh, I have learned zero Italian. Uh, Duolingo sends me a notification every day reminding me that my trip is coming up and I haven't been keeping up uh, because I I did exactly one lesson. So what I'm probably going to do is same thing that got me through France a few years ago. uh, I'm going to learn a couple of key phrases and then kind of mix those in with English and then accidentally speak Spanish a lot, which is I don't know what that says about me when it's like, oh, no, someone's speaking a language that I'm not that familiar with. I guess I will default to Spanish for some reason.
1: (laughs) It's ingenious. It works. They're all all romance languages. They probably, it'll work. That's not going to work if you go somewhere, like if you go to like, you know, Czech Republic or something, Spanish might not have the traction there, but you're keeping- I feel
2: like you go to those countries, you just, you're like, well, we're going to rely on this guidebook or something. Yeah, a lot
1: of points. You're going to learn one of those languages. no. no.
2: (laughs)
0: i not going to learn a Cyrillic language or something, it's like, oh Christ. I'll be fine, it will be alright, I'm not worried about it. Mico, also, we can make Mairos, it. We can make it a tier in the Patreon.
1: Welcome, virus. <laughs> yeah, we can make it a tier in the Patreon. It's like, if you give us $100 uh, a month, Steve has to learn Czech.
0: <laughs> I mean, is that something people are interested in?
1: <laughs> we can find out, we can float this.
0: It'll be great. And then we'll watch a bunch of Czech New Wave movies and I'll be like, well, actually, these subtitles are a little bit off. People love when you do that shit.
2: It'll be great. Yeah, especially because it adds so much to the discourse because it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they're probably contextualized, maybe altered slightly for our culture. But uh, yeah, it's best to look at it. Uh, From your rigid point of view as someone who learned to speak the
0: language three months ago. I will say I do like when I'm watching a movie and I have downloaded something from like open subtitles and they, they never do this on official releases, but you get this on open subtitles all the time where they tell you what they're saying, and then in parentheses below, there's like a brief explainer so you can have some context for what the fuck that is. That that's really subtitling
1: that. is, I yeah, that, that's my favorite kind of subtitling too, and that I very much associate with fan subs for anime. They will, because because they're all like totally into Japanese culture, so all their subtitles are like showing off that rather than actually translating the text and localizing mm-hmm. as necessary. So it's always like, yeah, the, the literal translation of which not even a Japanese person would translate it as a that say so it, it means they're an idiot. It doesn't mean this specific word, you know? <laughs> but yeah, they they do all that and then it's like and then the, the, the subtitles are like eight lines of text at the bottom of the episode at all times. It's completely incoherent, <laughs> gibberish. Fantastic experience. I feel like
2: ninety yeah, percent of anime subtitles are just like pained grunt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it depends on the anime you're watching, obviously, but, uh, you know. All Is I there need a to difference? Know, <laughs> I don't I just, know.
0: I, I just need to know, uh, you know, the proper interpretation of when the when the moisture bead forms on an anime boy's face, like on the side of his head. What does that mean? I don't fucking know. Sure does happen a lot. Well, Uh, yeah, anyways... I'm excited. Uh, I get to fuck off for two weeks, so we get the return of Jake after this episode. I'm sure a lot of people are excited about that. You don't have to listen to my voice anymore. Uh, I I got a new phone too, specifically for the trip because I uh, kind of smashed mine into oblivion, uh, which is good because uh, what you know four, four here? years ago uh, four years ago when I bought the phone, I I bought a case for it, and I I'm a sucker for a good advertisement, and it was like an Instagram advertisement, and. Uh, this guy, he was, he was like a Chilean dictator. He was up at a fucking helicopter. and He just whipped his phone with this case on it, just out of the fucking helicopter. And, uh, the phone was fine. That's what I need. because I'm a, I'm a definite phone dropper. And four years later, I have finally reached the point of more than a helicopter's worth of drops. Uh, and it was just, it was not in great shape. I'm I'm back, baby. I got a fucking. That's fair.
1: I am I'm curious about this Chilean dictator who is advertising phone cases on Instagram. But sure, I don't go on Instagram
0: because the chilean <laughs> dictator <laughs> does it. i'm 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 referencing uh, uh I, I believe it was a chilean dictator who would like uh take dissidents up into a helicopter oh, okay you're referring helicopter. to
1: pinochet yes uh pinochet yes yeah yes indeed wonderful guy uh <laughs> yeah and his helicopter rides. yeah okay i sorry uh, yeah i'm i'm catching up here i see what you mean you're just in you're just invoking decades of trauma the american south yes. too, or that the, the the South America not the American South I guess it gets too complicated <laughs> the USA shouldn't be allowed to just refer to itself as America it should have to it should have to go with something else you can't have a an American continent then an American country and then a South America uh. and a South America or American South it, it, we need we need to work this out this is like well Jack,
0: Ugh. I just want to thank you for, you know, me taking a, a kind of a throwaway joke and, uh, you know, just kind of skating over it. Because I think we can make a, this entire thing subject. the episode. <laughs> no, no, we, we
1: can we can bring this in. Uh, this this should be a whole thing, because, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, I think what we're discussing today is is pretty similar. Uh, probably. Close <laughs> enough.
0: Go on, do tell. Go on, go
1: on, I mean, there's, he doesn't have a helicopter in this, obviously, but there's there's quite a lot of bloodshed in these movies that we're about to discuss. A lot of punching, a lot of hurting, and um, probably, presumably, <laughs> a lot of ber- bereaved families. I think the connections speak for themselves.
0: They, they really do. So, uh, we are back on our Kitano bullshit, and, uh, we're, we're, we're kinda, we're dipping into the, the golden era here of the 1990s and in the grand tradition of us not doing any of this in a logical order uh, or even logical groupings for the most part uh, we're kind of straddling this line between the uh the pre and post accident katano and uh some of the the yakuza or yakuza adjacent films that, that he was making during that time period so i am excited though cuz we get to talk about sonatine which for my money is is far and away his his best film and this is one that i don't know i i somehow have gone my entire adult life without watching this which is weird because there was a period of my life where if quentin tarantino was coked up and talking about how much he liked something i would probably you know get it from netflix dvd by mail and you know this this led me to things like watching uh, larry bishop's hell ride which is trash but I somehow never saw Sonity and I don't know how I managed it. Yeah,
1: you've picked to pick this up from Rolling Thunder Video, Tarantino's own label. I think that's how it got pretty good innings in the U.S., although I believe that was cut for some reason. Some re- all the, the Kitano releases in the U.S. got cut for, like, violence, which makes absolutely no sense to me. And they were uncut mm-hmm. in Europe, but they, you know... So it goes. I, it's a very weird thing, but I remember researching this back when I was getting into Katano when I was picking up his stuff, which is all, this period, it was all available in the West. It was very weird that, like, from Sonatine onwards, and even Violet Cop prior, I think, they were all available easily. You could just pick them up, even though uh, Katana was not, like... I mean, he was he was doing really well, I guess, international festival-wise, so it was it was kind of, he was a hot property, but he seemed like kind of a little bit off the beaten track so it was very it was very handy everything was available but then it was all getting caught for like or ratings i guess in the u.s but it's like who was showing up to these movies anyway you know and tarantino of all mm-hmm. people the man who would just run-ins with the mpaa anyway but yeah i think sonatine is is it's the katano film to some degree mm-hmm. in terms of like it gives us the iconic image of him shooting himself in the head which is kind of strange that that's the iconic image of katano internationally as you know acclaimed comedian in japan takeshi katano and and pretty much it's almost like a reaction meme online just footage of him with a gun to his temple and blood spraying out the other side uh, but mm. yeah I, I think this is really where he, he the t- the title itself even is is uh as I said, it was kind of like a, a reference, like a sonatine is like a, a gradation for a composer. It's kind of like before you compose an entire sonata, you would compose a sonatine, which is a shorter, simpler piece. Uh, and katano himself felt that he had achieved that with this film, uh, so he he was taking it very seriously for him being a, an artist. So I think it's it's kind of a nice mm-hmm. plateau start. Although I would I would argue. With probably tackle this in another episode I do think A Scene at the Sea the film he made just prior to this is a masterpiece too and honestly I argue I think maybe even a better film overall um, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know but Katano kind of hit I think this was where he realised this is very close to what he could do and it, I think it had great legs in the west because it was also Yakuza oriented which sells very very well and it still but it, you know he could do that but he didn't have to trade off his own very very dark uh, sense of humor and very very kind of grim vision of human nature and society. It all kind of comes together here and definitely I think if yeah. you, if you have any interest in Kitano, Sonatine is a perfect place to start.
0: Yeah, which is why it's in episode three of our uh, overview. Yeah, of, yeah, of that's Kitano's why we films. did that. It was <laughs> it really is the perfect place to start. <laughs> no, and to start with Takeshi's, where we
1: started. Obviously, everyone loves Takeshi's. <laughs> and then, then work backwards to the 90s when he was like the most beloved art house video crossover guy you could imagine like it's just, mm. it's kind of strange I mean he was winning major awards and getting you know playing in art house films and stuff but I mean all his stuff was you could kind of pick it up even at regular video stores it was sort of strange yeah. a strange metric he'd managed to hit which is perfect you know art house movies but violent perfect. It's,
0: it's odd the, the space that his filmography kind of occupies, especially when Donatine came out and uh, directly after that too, because in Japan, we've talked about this before, like he's this huge cultural figure. He's just ubiquitous uh, for his comedy and his movies didn't do well in Japan. No. Uh, But then you kind of get this, this European and then later uh, American art house crowd that embraces him but only to a certain degree. And and this is part of the uh, I, I don't know, like I, I guess just the landscape of the film industry at the time. But, you know, he's he's winning awards at, at you know, Venice Film Festival, things like that. But it's not crossing over in America to the point where it's like, ooh, he's, you know, winning Oscars and doing this, that and the other thing. he, he never kind of reaches that point that uh some foreign filmmakers more recently uh are, are kind of getting that recognition and then also because there's these distinct european art house influences and katano being katano there's a lot of brief extremely violent moments but they're just that they're moments they're not extended scenes and i feel like at the time there were other filmmakers that maybe got a little bit more fraction uh just from a like an independent standpoint because of the the growing movement of like extreme asian cinema you know that uh, dimension was buying up everything they possibly could uh so if you if you made a movie that was like adjacent to audition in any way shape or form or uh you know ichi the killer then they were going to push it out there and this definitely doesn't fall into that so Again, it's like it's like this bizarre kind of in between space, but it's also what makes this filmmaking so special. And there's there's really nothing like a Katano film from this era, and specifically Sonatine is just fucking amazing. And part of that is because you do get the the yakuza story and the violence, but a lot of this is just like ninety minutes of nihilistic fatalism but also just just like hanging out with your buds on the beach it's 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 a really yeah, odd contrast
1: like, well you've heard of like yakuza graveyard and so on this is like yakuza vacation it's it's yeah it's kind of mm-hmm. like they they get away it's it's the the beach beachside romp for for the yakuza um and it's it's it is a funny precept and i i think katana like i think sonatine does a really good job of like grounding this kind of strange humor that filters through and i'm thinking like specifically like early in the film so i mean the the storyline of sonatine basically involves uh there's a, a, a a turf war brewing down in okinawa um and the one of the families in the mainland has kind of been brought in to they want they want to go down there to kind of like just give a show of force, just kind of hang out there. Uh, and Takeshi Kitano's character is, is leading up that group that's being sent down there. He doesn't want to go down there. He has some suspicions. Maybe there's more to it than that. But, you know, it's supposed to be like, just go down there, just hang out. It'll be fine. And so that element is introduced. The, the head of the Yakuza says, you know, head down to Okinawa. There shouldn't be any bloodshed. And then the very next scene is the Yakuza, like, just grabbing a mahjong parlor owner just like manhandling him into a car and they then murder him because he basically refused to pay protection money to kind of like cut this idea of like there's always bloodshed and then by the time they get down to like they, they go down to okinawa and they're all just in holiday shirts and they all get picked up on a little mini bus, and it's just this <laughs> bus full of of gangsters being driven around and it's just this utterly surreal Backdrop, but but the the violence underpinning it and the nerviness underpinning it is is presented very seriously and concretely, and then the rest of it is yeah just this sort of strange kind of uh, wistful kind of like the, a, a losing track of time. I mean, they're because most of it is just a waiting game. It's kind of they're they're trying to see what's going to happen next. Um. So yeah, it's kind of this unusual kind of traditional, kind of, like, it's spinning the, the Yakuza film kind of on its head a little bit, and it's it's mm-hmm. very unusual in that sense, and it has a lot, of, I think, of that, like, that fatalism of, like, a, a Melville film, you know, of that kind of, like, lonely men just, you know, kind of, like, hanging out, and that camaraderie, but there's this emptiness underneath it, and uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of a setup.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it really does kind of take what you traditionally would conceive of as you know, what what makes a, a yakuza film. Uh, going back to you know the battles without honor and humanity series, I think that's that's a great like. Hey, you want to know what yakuza movies are all about? Watch that. Um, but here, it, and this is this is the thing that I, I really love the most about Sonatine is, you know, in, in all of those movies, the the battles without honor and humanity series, and and a lot of the yakuza movies from the nineteen seventies on into the eighties. Uh they have all these, you know, it's it's these twisting-turning plots and and all these tough guys, and and you know, it's all these men who are just kind of like jockeying for power and positioning. And this is this is the same type of thing that Katano is playing with in the outrage trilogy that we we covered in the last mm-hmm. episode. But here it's the exact opposite of that because everyone feels like they're just powerless and sort of drifting around. And even Katano's own character who's like a stone cold fucking killer. I mean, God, I, how do they get to Okinawa? Well, he has to meet with the boss and the boss is like, you're going here. And he's like, I'm not fucking going there. And then it's like, cut to them in Okinawa landing and getting on a bus. <laughs> it's like, okay. And, and there's all these things that just, you know, play out and they just, they have no control and they're just kind of like moving from moment to moment. And there's no clear idea of what their objective there even is. We know that there's some beef between one family and another, but we're not privy to any of that. And Katano and his guys are just sort of isolated from everything, uh, but still, you know, basically collateral damage throughout this in- entire movie. So there's, there's a shootout where some guys get fucking blasted in a bar. Uh, they get, Taken from the bus, which which includes ice cream. I think that's a nice little touch. Yes, he brings uh, ice cream <laughs> for all of the gangsters. <laughs> yeah, all the gangsters have their ice cream and then they go to this this little like office or whatever, and it's, it's just a big piece of shit. And they're like, Yeah, you'll be fine, just hang out here, then our boss will take you to dinner, then we'll figure stuff out, no big deal, super chill. And then immediately, like a, a gunshot rings through the window, and then 10 minutes later. Uh, a bomb goes off and kills two people inside this building. So They're just like, okay, we're fucked. it's like, well, I guess we're going to the beach. Well, what are you going to do at the beach? I don't know. We're going to wait and lay low and just figure things out. And then they're just sort of, they're just drifting and they're stuck. Uh, And then, you know, Kitano's character, he he starts to open up a little bit because, of course, Takeshi Kitano, he's got to play this uh, stoic gangster. That's his whole thing. And at one point, a, a woman asked him, like, oh, wow, like, you, you kill people all the time and blah, blah, blah. she's, Oh, is it you? he killed a man in front of her. Is that the first time he killed someone? He's like, no, I killed my dad because he wouldn't let me fuck chicks or something. <laughs> and so he, he's going through all this. And it sounds like all this tough guy shit. And she's like, oh, you must not be afraid of everything. He's like, no, actually, I'm like terrified of everything all the time. But when you're constantly afraid, it's easy to hide it because it's like the only emotion that you feel. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty much it. Like, that's the essence of it, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting
1: watching this again, um, kind of within the context of particularly where he would go later on. Um, like, Sonatine, and again, within the context of, like, Katano is this enormously successful guy. And he's, he's lived kind of his whole life publicly in Japan since the 70s. He's just, he's been ubiquitous everywhere on TV, books, makes his movies acting, writing in newspapers and so on. So, like, he's, his business is everywhere in Japan. Like, he's a massive public figure. And it's so unusual to watch team because, I mean, it reads very clearly. It's like, it's, this is a film, it feels like a film about depression, a film about someone who's just not kind of dealing, like, not doing too well, but, like, sublimating it into a very, you know, beautiful kind of an artistic construct. But, I mean, it's very much a film about, like, why shouldn't I kill myself? And, and you know, and honestly, a film about not finding a great answer for that either. You know, it, it's, it's mm. a film about, yes, a man in danger and kind of like this Yakuza to and fro that he's caught in the middle of. But really, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's a film about how kind of like masculinity is a construct and a kind of a goofy one at that. And it's kind of thinly pulled over top like they play these little childhood games on the beach to kill time and do this and that they have their bad jokes but there's this kind of like just just kind of chasm next to it you know i mean there's still things at one point where where katano's character plays russian roulette with everyone but he's he's actually taking the bullet out there's no bullet in the gun but no one else knows that and he's just pointing a gun at people and pulling a trigger and smiling (laughs) and since he's in charge they all have to just kind of like smile and nod but you know like the the dynamics but like he no one knows and that's like that's a funny joke and then he has his dream where he does kill himself and um, like it, it's just this kind of uh, there's a remarkable kind of a darkness cast over this again sunny beachside romp effectively the summer is so a kind of a recurring thing throughout katano's films. so many like even a scene at the sea i think it's um it's full japanese title translates as like that summer the sea was so quiet or something like that or so still um you know mm-hmm. it's a, it's a summer movie sonatine is a summer movie Um hanabi kind of like there are certain elements in that on the beach as well uh kiko Jiro is set in the summer Um, you know he's very much he's he's much more associated with like kind of like that season specifically a lot of his films are set you're in the height of like a sweltering hot summer I and mean, boiling point as well actually his second movie is as well um and you know it's like just sun and nice and chill and and it but there's just an unhappiness underneath so much mm-hmm. of it that's that's really striking and and comes out in these kind of very dark jokes that that like you yeah. say like the the russian roulette which are you know kind of funny in and of themselves um or like a, a a bus full of gangsters these kind of visual rhymes and visual jokes but there's like it, it really it's a really interesting dynamic and then of course we have the music of Joe Hisashi who was his longtime collaborator up to I think Dolls in like 2002 and then sadly they had some kind of a falling out that I'm not 100% sure what it is but they've never worked together since so like his later films we've talked about from Takeshi's through the outrage trilogy don't have a Hisashi team. And, and I think for me, his core 90s work is so defined by Hisashi's themes. Um, and again, it's this kind of like wistful, lilting kind of a theme uh, over top of, again, this kind of pretty gnarly kind of existential dread piece. Um, a very, very peculiar kind of an effect, and very specifically Katana. Like, no one else, I think, was making films like this at the time. I can't really think of anyone doing it at all i mean there, there's riffs on it certainly and you can look and see what maybe he was drawing from and inspired by but um like no no one else is like this this is just a really unique kind of a, a balance of ingredients and um, you know there mm-hmm. a lot of pe- i think a lot of people looked at like the the gun fights and stuff that were not very like action forward and maybe thought like oh that's very japanese like it's very you know like like a Yojimbo the or sorry Sanjuro like the final fight of that where it's like literally one sword swipe that's it you know like, mm-hmm. it, like this very uh, almost like uh, minimal action choreography that Katano kind of takes it one further and that his action scenarios almost don't have any movement or even coherence to them they're like entirely geometrically composed kind of like ideas of a gunfight they're not really an actual mm-hmm. gunfight, and this thing is kind of funny. I think Katan,o maybe for maybe for me and for other people who kind of came up at that time, kind of thought like, "Oh, that's so Japanese." And now I look at like Japanese action movies made around it, and in the eighties, and no, they're like they're much more on board with like the the Hong Kong like insane stunt work, martial arts, yep. karate chopping shit. Like this is really just Katan,o was doing this, and it's this very specific kind of a tone, uh you know, of mm-hmm. like high violence, but like kind of like it's extremely vulnerable we cut through a lot of it and then like big gunfights but they're not action set pieces they're more like weird kind of conversations almost like cut you know shot reverse shot it's it's a really striking thing and I think it it all comes together in Sonateen which I think is one of the reasons why this film has become such a kind of a focal point uh for the 90s cinema and for particularly I think for for people who are <clears throat> interested in non-hollywood cinema at the time this really kind of pulled a lot of eyes over and going like oh you can do all of this this is very different i mean there's, there's really a completely different kind of analog to uh to to hollywood film like you you would have been looked at real weird if you came out with this particularly if you were already a noted celebrity otherwise
0: yeah yeah and and if you look at i mentioned takashi miike earlier uh and how i i feel like he had more in, in the west or at least with western audiences it's it's a great contrast too if you look at the kind of work uh, he was doing a lot of dtv yakuza action films at the time and if you look at like oh bodyguard Kiba or shinjuku triad society or any of those it's like none of that shit looks like this or has the same tone or no it is yeah it's just like completely off in a different realm so the idea that that kind of uh Somber, still, ultra violence is is just associated with Japanese cinemas is ridiculous. Yeah, it's it, it really
1: is. Yeah, um, and I think here also, Katano finds his. It's a scene at the sea, which I mentioned earlier. I think is really. I think it's a remarkable film. I think it's where he found a lot of his visual grammar. But it's in weirdly an entirely violence free movie. It is. It doesn't have yakuza. It's literally. It's about a deaf mute garbage man. Uh learning to learn to surf and it's a wonderful lovely film uh but you know it's not it didn't sell well in the west I, that was one of the ones that was harder to find in the west because you couldn't put mm-hmm. a man holding a gun on the front cover uh you know which is what everyone was looking for i think he found you know but but there's there's so much of that grammar then comes into Sonatine. It's film grammar there's this really interesting things he does. Like, we mentioned the Mahjong parlor owner who refuses to pay protection money, so they end up stringing him up to a crane and dunking him in the river until he drowns in a particularly cruel kind of a set piece. But the end of that scene, after he's been drowned, is just, it's a single shot of the crane with the body hanging from it. And it's not, you know... It doesn't feel like it's not in the rhythm of the scene as it's transpired where, you know, they've said take care of, you know, like Katanos character is leaving and he's like, get rid of the body or whatever. This is like everyone else is left, but the body is still hanging there. And it's kind of like this, mm. com- it's just this kind of composition shot. It's like this this flavor of like dwelling on the, the, I guess, consequences of this, this fatalist, vicious kind of thing they've just done. But in this really painterly frame that is just kind of edited in. And of course, it's worth mentioning, Kitano does his own editing and has done his own editing, I think, since Boiling Point. I think he's always pretty much Mm -hmm. helmed up as his own films. Um you know, and he's really, he's finding his rhythm here. Later on in the film, there's an assassin who shows up to kill Kitano's whole crew. And he's introduced in this really unusual shot where he's facing the camera, almost like it's like school picture day. And he's like, he just, he's introduced the camera and we don't know he's an assassin at the time. He's like dressed just like he's some old guy dressed for fishing and he's just facing the camera. And then he just kind of like, after he's introduced, he turns and starts walking. It's this like very theatrical kind of an introduction that like he was staring at the camera and then he starts walking into the scene. Like like the, you know, Kitano cut in before he actually said action or something. It's It's a really mm-hmm. unusual effect. And then, you know, like these little flourishes Kitano is finding where he's finding these kind of like rhythms and images that don't necessarily fit into a traditional storytelling mode, but he wants them in there. They they add something else, another dimension, and they really do. And I think much of what's really great about Kitano's work through this period are those little additions, those images that he finds and that he, he understands kind of are great inserts in between to move between what otherwise would be you know like he he's still quite story focused his films still have a strong narrative bent particularly through this area you know you're not going to be confused about what's happening at any time but he's able to just kind of like introduce those elements to kind of show that he's kind of like exploring and thinking about this visually he has this really interesting visual grammar that One of the things, I mean, we'll talk about it later as we get to Hanabi, but, like, I mean, Kitano, for me, was, you know, he was my introduction to to taking Japanese cinema, like, delving deep into Japanese cinema, and it was interesting, because once I discovered, I know it's kind of a facile comparison to some degree, but, like, once you get to Ozu, and you're like, why, you know, I'm now a person who watches 1930s Japanese movies, you know, which is a place (laughs) some of us find ourselves, and it makes it difficult to have conversations with other people who are like, you what? Uh, But, like, you you watch Ozu, and Ozu has those, you know, famous pillow shots and things, and it's like, it's really easy to take those in when you're already familiar with Kitano. There's a similar function there, this kind of, like, breathing between scenes, this non-story function insert. Um... It, and it's really nice when it's done. It's kind of one of those things you just kind of wish more people would experiment with, honestly, because yeah. you really, there's all kinds of flavors you could do with this. Uh, like, Katano's are not the same as Ozu's, um, but there's a similar kind of an effect to it, and it's just kind of, like, not particularly explored by many other filmmakers who, you know, and I feel like at this point it's, it's getting further and further away from it um, as more and more mm-hmm. people become slaves to scripts and necessity and efficiency um and basically just making television it feels like so well, you know but whatever
0: i i think you know katano's visual language and the way that sanatine is constructed and, and his character in the film you mentioned this earlier but he he really nails the what, what's depression like angle because this this really is it feels like it's a movie about depression basically and it's not Mm -hmm. like oh no i'm so sad and i'm gonna tell you about all the things that make me sad it's like no it's just kind of this dull numbness and uh, there's there's part of the movie where um a guy yeah he walks onto the beach and he blasts one of katano's boys directly in the head and kills him while katano's like kind of sitting behind a boat uh just hanging out and Prior to that, they were goofing around and trying to like skeet shoot a frisbee. And then they were like playing baseball <laughs> with the frisbee and having a good old time. Katano's eating sunflower seeds. It's it's more beach fun. A lot of beach fun in this movie. And yeah, then I, this guy it, gets blasted in the head. But then the scene after that, it it like cuts super hard to the rest of the group. Basically, like, you know, talking like this. fucked. like, what are we doing? And Kitano is still on the beach, and he, he has the frisbee, and he's just throwing the frisbee to himself. Because yes. I mean, that's just it. It's, it's, not, it's not this, like, uh, you know, extreme highs and extreme lows. It really is just this dull numbness. So he's, what's he going to do? There's, there's nothing for him to do, so he might as well fuck around with a frisbee uh, on the beach, because it doesn't matter. I'm thinking I might be back. Am I back?
1: Oh, uh, we, you're back. We've got an Adam Myrus in the yeah, house. Yeah, I, 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 I see you guys so, waited for me to
2: start the discussion. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we, we just held off uh, very, very considerate.
1: <laughs> so, Adam, what, what are all of your thoughts on Sonatine <laughs> starting now?
2: Well, you guys are just discussing a scene that, that kind of highlights something I found very interesting with the film is, and, and I suppose it runs through his work as a whole, is that there's a certain detachment of logic from a lot of, of the scenes. And and that comes down to editing. It's just very dissociative. Uh, even that, yeah, that scene you're talking about where all of a sudden this this sort of assassin comes through and it, it seems like it's building toward this crescendo of violence and it kind of doesn't. <laughs> the guy just shoots one of them and then immediately kind of we go away from that. and It, it seems like illogical. There's a certain... Illogic to all of the sort of punchy events in in this film in particular that really lend it a particular uh, dreamy sort of uh, vibe, and that's what this movie is to me. This movie is is the ultimate vibe. Uh, I could just sit down and watch this for ages. It's 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 everything you want from from just a, a good vibes afternoon.
1: Mm -hmm. ultimate ultimate uh, vibe of like should i kill myself maybe there's (laughs) nothing well yeah yeah, i mean it's a doubter but it's it's a very like
2: gen (laughs) x down like it it just feels it's 90s vibes all over this thing i don't know it's just got such a, a particular feel to it that i
0: find enrapturing like i think this movie's goddamn spectacular yeah and it's it's also we mentioned some of the comedy but there really are absolutely hilarious moments like I was fucking dying when uh, Kitano he's bored he's on the beach they're, they're finding all these different ways to fuck around they're like dancing like geishas and then they're uh you know doing fake sumo wrestling on the beach and at one point it's it's night and you think there's like a serious discussion about to happen or something and Kitano calls the other guys down to the beach uh, and when in fact there is not a serious discussion he simply dug a hole in the beach and covered it up <laughs> so that the other guys would fall into the hole, which is very funny. And then he's, he's got his top lieutenant guy with him and and they're walking back. And then this is, this is the big punchline. Is, he, d- he actually dug a second hole specifically for this scenario. So his top <laughs> lieutenant falls in the second hole. And it's just, it, it's great it's it's hilarious
1: and i mean the, the ultimate punchline is yeah. that there's a third hole revealed you later. three <laughs> just yeah, like a, a throwback <laughs> throwback joe
0: <laughs> it's it's great but again like how many movies can you say are able to walk this line between this crushing just depressed fatalism this nihilistic outlook uh a movie about a guy who's really just going back and forth about whether or not he should blow his fucking brains out in any given moment and it's it's funny and it's got just these amazing explosive moments of violence and it's it has got a little bit of everything and it's I, it's one of a kind
1: i think i think the role of the comedian because i think this is something that will be picked up as well in um in kids return particularly because Katano obviously is best known in its native Japan as a comedian, as part of these these manzai duos who do these kind of nonsense conversations, which they even have a little bit early on in this movie. Um, I forget the, the the character's name, played by Suzuma Terajima, the guy who's in a bunch of these Kitano movies, and it's just always so much fun to me. It's just like this, he's like just this, this small, wiry, angry dude in every one of these movies who seems exasperated by how annoying everyone else is to him. And he's hanging out in in Sonotin, He's one of Katano's men, and he's hanging out with a younger local gangster who has been to the mainland or been to Tokyo, I guess. Uh, you know, a couple of times that he just keeps asking Terajima's character if he knows this shop or this person in Tokyo, like this vast metropolis. And eventually the, the guy is like, no, I don't know any of these people and they all sound terrible. Like, if you, do you know any respectable people in Tokyo? Like, and it's like this almost man's eye comedy routine being played in the middle of this film. But I think it kind of reveals that Katano himself seems to see the comedy or a comedian's role as someone who's somewhat outside of the flow of, of Japanese society. Um, and so his, his comedic interjections, I mean, the comedy of the film also shakes the, the kind of hierarchy of the Yakuza group themselves to the point where they kind of forget themselves at times. Katano's character can make jokes. He can he razzes Ren Osugi, the other actor who's playing as top lieutenant. He keeps razzing him about his stupid shirts. And there's nothing Osugi's character can do about it, because Katano is the boss. But then Terajima's character does it later on as well, and he gets reprimanded because he's actually like lower down the pecking chain. He's not allowed to make fun of Osugi, but Katano is. But you know, there's kind of like this this the the com- use of joking around in comedy and stuff is kind of like it it mixes up the relations between all these men, which is generally otherwise defined by their their ranking within the yakuza brotherhood, um. And I think this, you know, as say we'll go through to like Kid's return, is very much this kind of idea that comedy is kind of like a third way almost. It's it's some kind of another way to kind of like push through and maybe maybe part of like this whole era that he's in is like Katana kind of saying that like comedy really helps him it was really it's real important because otherwise all he sees is him with a gun pointed at him like that seems to be part of what's going on here
0: sure mm-hmm. sure absolutely well, Myros, uh, I, I know this was your favorite of the bunch, so uh, I'm, I'm glad your computer crashed because now you don't get to talk about it, but...
2: Uh. Yeah, yeah, I hopefully we're out of the woods on this. I don't know what's going on here, but uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you guys did it justice. I just, yeah, I, I would just say this is a really special movie, and I would uh, definitely recommend seeking it out uh, if you ever have the opportunity, and... Yeah, it's just, it is, it's pure vibes. It's pure vibes, baby. It's a, it's just a joy to watch. I know some people can't get behind its pacing, but uh, I think those people are insane, because there's, there's nothing wrong with this pacing. And what what struck me about it, as opposed to, is this really the only Yakuza-adjacent film we're really watching this week, is that in stark contrast to the outrage stuff, this is... Such a legible film. Like, it, it is immediately, like, it's so easy to read, and the characters are well-defined, and it's not the, the bizarre morass of, like, confusion and, and monotony that, that comes out of those outrage films. Uh, and I, I know some of that's certainly intent, but boy, this is just so much more wonderful to watch. It's pure poetry.
1: Yeah, it, it it unfolds kind of the same thing. Like, later on, it's revealed that uh, part of the reason they're in this whole situation is because the maniac as a boss just wanted extra land and right. extra money, and he just did it. But unlike the Outrage movies, they don't really discuss that at all. There's no, like, they don't cover all of the, the betrayals and, and, and hijinks and double crosses. It's just them on the beach knowing that if they go anywhere, someone's probably going to kill yes, them.
2: Yes, and it, it's much better for that, Uh, in my personal
0: opinion. <laughs> Well, Myros, let me ask you this. If it was 1996, would you rather be a little Yakuza boy or a little boxer boy? Uh,
2: I think I'd probably go boxer. That seems like uh, less dangerous.
0: Yeah, which is, I mean, that's saying something. But yeah, I think this is one of the rare instances where I would choose getting repeatedly punched in the head and uh, not being allowed to drink or eat snacks. Uh, but yeah, Kid's Return. Uh, shit. This this is a weird one because I'm so used to seeing Katano being at the center of the Kitano universe. And it's so wild just watching this and, and not seeing him pop up at some point. <laughs> I think that's true. This
1: this is the first one we've picked that he's not in, isn't it? Um, which he his his very his second film as a director, Boiling Point. He kind of played with this in that. He's if you if you ever get a copy of Boiling Point, um, uh, is always on the front cover, with maybe the exception of the current U.S. Blu-ray from Film Movement, which has some of the worst <laughs> cover art ever. And I don't know who's on the cover of that movie because no one even looks human. It's like someone who had never seen the film and never drawn anything previously was hired mm-hmm. to create cover art. But it's really fun because in boiling point, Katano is in the film, but he just kind of ebbs away. He's not the main character at all. And then after that, he made a scene at the sea. He's also not in that film at all. So it's not the first time, but I guess this is the first time we've come across a film where he's, he's just not there. Um, And it is interesting. And it's kind of, uh, the, I suppose to place Kids Return appropriately it's probably worth discussing that this is the first film Kitano made after a near fatal scooter accident. Um which he later said in an interview may have been an unconscious suicide attempt, which probably feeds back into how the man made films like Sonatine. Um but he was he was very seriously injured in this in this scooter accident. It paralyzed half his face. Uh, he was he was in hospital for months. It took a long, long time for him to recover. And there were discussions in Japan about whether or not he would ever work again. You know, he was he was that seriously injured. And I think Katano took it upon himself to prove everyone wrong by get really jumping right back in. And so an interesting thing about this film is um As I notice it, it opens with a little painting, a little picture of a little girl opening a box and there's a little angel ornament in it which kind of mirrors something, a plot device within the film. I think that's the first instance of a Takeshi Kitano artwork appearing in one of his own films and this would become a mainstay uh, in his films and indeed like a core plot element in Hanabi. But um, it's it kind of like immediately marks off. He took a painting while he was recovering from the accident too. So I think that was like a route to recovery. But Kids Return is the film of the man who basically said, don't count me out. I'm coming in. But I'm guessing he did not put himself in the film because he was still, possibly still had his facial injuries scarring. I mean, he would reappear and he's very clearly like the, I think, right side of his face is paralyzed, which... For a man who was already not exactly the most emotive actor, it gives a very strange additional layer of of stoicism to his his performances. But he maybe wasn't comfortable doing that, so instead he decided to make a kind of semi autobiographical. Although with Katana, it was very hard to work that out because he also I think has claimed that like Achilles and the Tortoise is like a little bit autobiographical, but I don't think it is at all. Um, I, as we've discussed in that episode, I think that movie is maybe kind of a weird, protracted, shaggy dog story gag. Um, it's very, very difficult to tell. But a *Kids Return* is, yeah, the story of two high school dropouts who are trying to make it in the world. And weirdly enough, watching it this time, is this more depressing than *Sonatine*? It's, it's an incredibly it's depressing possible. movie. <laughs> oh, I think so. I
0: mean, I guess, I guess at the end they're kind of at least they got your bud
1: it's true yeah, yeah it's kind of like we're doing it's kind of something I hadn't registered before but yeah this is a movie about how everything will just try and beat you down Yeah, maybe the most depressive mm-hmm, like stories is, you is like lose. the one
2: that's not even the central thing if you're just following like the third guy in the cafe <laughs> right. where it's just like oh yeah, yeah he married this woman but then every job he took fucking ground him to dust until he fucking fell asleep by the wheel of a cab and died it's like oh Jesus Christ <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah Uh, it's it's
1: the story of of two teenagers who are like they're they're drop like they're in high school but not really they're and even the, the teachers are like the teachers hate them and they tell like the teachers actively tell them just go away like you're not you're useless you're an idiot you can't do any of this which you wonder if maybe that predated or preceded them not trying very hard at school but they they kind of drop out and they follow two separate paths one becomes a boxer the other one becomes a yakuza and they kind of do pretty well at both until events kind of like conspire against them, and meanwhile it follows various other boys kind of in their class and around them who also try and kind of join into the world. And it seems, you know, this makes more sense, I guess, coming out of the back of like say the outrage trilogy, which seems deeply dissatisfied with Japanese culture and kind of like the state of things in in modern Japan. I guess that started a lot earlier for Katano because this absolutely like is a scathing depiction of a Japan that seems to just grind everyone down to dirt dust oh, yeah. and is just incredibly cruel. You know, but at the same time, watching the film, it's not like it, it's not full of like fatalist imagery in the way that Sonatine is. It's like the slow, everyday, just kind of like. Grinding of it, it's it's like you say. I mean, we have the one guy, the one guy who is into the corporate world, which is you know supposed to be like the 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 reliable one, and he maybe fares worse of everyone. So, who mm-hmm. knows? This kind of peculiar worldview yeah. here. But again, comedians, yeah, like, comedians come out maybe on yeah. top. Kind of <laughs> the
0: comedians are the only ones I know, who really. I, if make that's it, what he's calling that's, like semi
2: autobiographical. The... <laughs> it's like what? Are, are is it this auto- autobiographical in that you are like? the most ancillary characters in this movie. <laughs> like, the two beats are, like, kind of there for five minutes and just tell jokes every once in a while. Yeah,
1: well, what yeah, you would have yeah. to say he doesn't really examine the world of comedy as much as the other ones, which makes their relative success or failure not really resound so much. I, I think kind of they become more of a chorus to the others rather than anything else. they just sort of kind of, you know, don't take it too seriously because it's all rigged against you and it'll kill you, uh, might be, you know, the the very fun takeaway of this film. Um, It it has, Kids Return has, I think, again, going back to like a scene at the sea which is about, you know, let's say a man learned to surf and it's very much a film about the rhythm of just throwing yourself into doing something, that the way to get good at something is not to have a spark of genius and innate talent, it's just to go out every single day and just do it and, you know... I, you know I think that's one of the strengths of the film is that it moves away from this uh, all too common thing in, in you know a lot of a lot of cinema and art form where like particularly when it comes to autobiographical elements where it's like the reason I'm good at this is because I'm brilliant and I'm touched by God <laughs> and there's so many goddamn biographies, like to the point where honestly the, the biopic as a film is is a joke genre at this point like they can't grapple yeah. with the concept that most people who are worth making a biopic about, the reason they were good at it is because they every single day got up and just did it. And that's really boring and tedious and difficult and hard. And no one wants to deal with that. No one wants to watch a movie about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kids Return does the same thing. It captures that same idea. I mean, one guy becomes a boxer and he trains and he trains and he trains. And the other guy becomes a Yakuza and he takes his licks and he, he kind of like keeps trying to work his way up and doing, you know, takes a lot of shit. That's how you work as a, you know, you start as a junior Yakuza and that means everyone gets to tell you you're an idiot for forever while you light their cigarettes. And eventually like you become the second junior Yakuza, which means there's one guy you can call an idiot and then everyone else still calls you an idiot. And, you know, bit mm-hmm. by bit. And it kind of tracks that like movement up for them until both systems boxing and being a Yakuza eventually just kind of like start hitting on them
0: anyway because it's, it's not it's not really enough to just just oh, want us yeah. this, this is the uh it's the anti coming of age movie essentially <laughs> and and I like it as an anti biopic too because it's like no one no one here is particularly special and they work really hard you know they're they're pushing the boulder slowly up the hill if you will and if this was a traditional coming of age film or maybe a movie made by almost anyone else kids return in the end it's like he would it'd be like a rocky finish or maybe rocky 2 or you know maybe maybe something bad would happen to his friend because his friend chose crime and then he but he's okay because he chose punching people in a boxing way none of that happens the 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 end result is the same whether you choose corporate whether you choose you know an athletic pursuit or whether you choose a life of crime. Uh, eventually you get close to the top of the mountain, and then the, instead of getting the boulder over it, it just fucking rolls back down and smashes your face. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's even really more grim than
2: that, because it's not like they're, they're even getting close to the top of the mountain. It's like, they're getting close to the top of a small hill, you know? Like, oh, you can be a local amateur yeah, boxing yeah, the, the champion the boxer or like... like, run this small crew or something, <laughs> or, you know, be a, an okay salesman. It's like, no, all of these things are unattainable. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, I want to be an, a perfectly <laughs> functional taxi driver. No, fuck <laughs> you. You're not working hard now. Like, all right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, even the taxi driver is
1: like, he gets back from his, his long, hard day being a taxi driver. And the boss is like, you should make more money. You should work more. And meanwhile, yeah, the the other, the boxer, who's like the straight and narrow, the discipline, eat right, work hard. And it's just sort of like every single time, it's like, no, you got to cut more weight. You got to do this just so you can have a shot at some kind of a a local, regional title. And of course, within that, eventually he just starts, within within all his discipline, he starts, you know, breaking out. He starts hanging out with another guy who did the exact same thing and didn't make it and is dejected from it and starts saying, like, no, you can just do, you know, there's pills you can take to lose weight, to lose water weight. You can just throw up your food after you eat it. You taste it, you throw Mm. it up, you don't gain weight. All these bad decisions within it, but it's kind of like... What else are you going to do? Like, there's, just no, there's yeah. no satisfaction to be found here.
0: My recommendation to anyone listening is if, if someone suggests bulimia as a, as a path to success, I would, I would probably shy away from that.
2: Yeah, you know, but I mean, it's, it's kind of intriguing <laughs> in that there's not like a good path and a bad path in, in that pursuit even, which seems like, again, in a more like Hollywood storytelling structure, the boxer is going down the more noble path than... Than his friend who's fallen mm-hmm. into crime. But from the very start of him training boxing, they're just like teaching him to smash a guy in the face with his elbow. <laughs> it's, it's just like, uh, yes. you've gotta change, yeah, yeah, you got to change. There's a specific... Always.
1: Yeah, it's a specific thing. It's like even, yeah, as, as hard as you should train to be a boxer and be absolutely the master of your own body and control everything and get up every day at the crack of dawn and just shape and sculpt yourself into being the best boxer there's someone else doing that too. And so when the referee's not looking, you should try and headbutt him. And like, that's, that's the mm-hmm. rules. That's, that's how you win. And this is a film about how winning, not many people get to do it. And when you don't do it, the result is pretty miserable. And that's for most people, maybe uh, Katano considers that's kind of like the, the happiness, I, I guess fundamentally it's kind of like that the happiness can't come just from the vocation. Everything here is like choose. you know, none of these people have particularly solid personal lives. We have the one guy with his wife uh, who's, you know, he meets in the the, the coffee shop, which is it, it's not explored particularly, but I guess it's sadder to look at it. The, all he wants, I think, really is to try and impress her and make her happy. And it just and it doesn't even seem like maybe she's not even being very unreasonable. It's just like, the, you know, to make money as a salary man, just it just takes an awful lot out of you and you're not hanging out with your wife which is the reason you're doing it and what's like what's even the point of that and meanwhile the boxer is doing his whole thing to maybe get a a hanger on girlfriend i mean he sees other boxers ahead of him who have like a glamorous girlfriend hanging off their arm saying you're brilliant and then they get their ass kicked in the title fight and then the girlfriend leaves cuz who wants to hang out with the guy who lost the fight like it's it's just a a whole kind of vision of an entire system set up kind of independent of the things you probably should would make you happy and i'm wondering you know i think katano maybe was seriously reevaluating things because i think katano himself had worked insanely hard up until this point you know he'd obviously he'd made it as uh he seems like a guy who didn't know how to relax anyway but you know he he'd made it as a comedian but then he managed other people musicians and comedians and then obviously he got into filmmaking he writes, directs, edits everything himself, acts in them. He acts in other people's movies. He goes on TV to talk. He does all this stuff. He's like, he's this whirlwind of productivity. And then he makes this movie that's kind of like productivity is a myth. Like, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole thing, you know, the whole grind to become this, you know, it's it probably won't work and it probably won't make you feel happy. And you wonder if part of this was Kitano sitting in a hospital bed or at a physio of the you know physiotherapy session or something just going like shit i fucked up like like none of this has been working and now i'm almost dead uh it's there you know i think that there's a certain weight behind this film within that kind of context Mm -hmm. in this career this feels like a very unhappy film
0: well Jack, let me tell you something. Let's let's go from uh, what well, we went from one kind of uh, downer of a movie to another. I think downer you guys are too down on but, these downers. Uh, I I don't think I don't <laughs> think
2: Sonatine's like a downer, really. I mean, it's about a character who is suicidal, but the the movie itself is.
0: I mean, the final shot of the movie is is important, well, it, but it's also out. still
2: again quite ethereal and ambiguous, and it's also yeah. it's just so much of the movie is. What? Them like really just kind of enjoying getting away from all of this shit, and and there's such a playfulness to it that mm-hmm. I don't consider it a particularly depressing movie. This one is for a great deal of it, but even still, he always he's he's ending it on a, a note of of extreme optimism and this sort of stick to itiveness of like you know we're still young, we we still have much to do in this world, and you know we we've taken. We've taken mm-hmm. punches, but it's, yeah. Well,
0: let's, uh, let's, let's switch gears. There. Let's go to something that's, uh, uplifting, you know, what, what would happen if like, you know, your friends got shot and one of them was paralyzed and you kind of blame yourself for it. And your wife Yeah, has this leukemia. one's probably a little more of a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> we're, t- we're, of course, talking about, uh, 1997's, uh, Hanabi or Hanabi. I don't, I don't know how to say it. It's fireworks. Uh, it's, Another fucking stone cold Catano classic, but uh, another one where you're like Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fucking just just an obstacle course of of depression punches in the fucking face. <laughs> it
1: certainly, it's certainly it's yeah, I, I, and I, and I agree with Adam. I there because I think the art of these films is beautiful, and the the kind of like mm-hmm. to to sit in their presence is energizing uh certainly you know to see katano and i think really and hanabi perhaps more than all of them for me i think is this this is katano at the absolute height of his power this is i think his masterpiece above all his other several masterpieces this is the film and maybe and maybe part of that is that this is a film i found pretty early on when i was starting to explore cinema and this movie just like basically blew the doors open on what I realized movies could do. It's like, oh shit, they can, they could do anything. They don't, you know, like the, you can go anywhere, you know, you can show anything. You don't have to be stuck to a story. You don't have to care about audience expectations or anything. Like you can just kind of like kind of wander around and be in your own vibe. You can just show off your own paintings. You can kind of be sad and mournful, but like not really explain it or talk about it too much. You can just kind of like let the music do the talking or let, you know, an image here or there do it. It was this incredibly enervating experience like I said really pointed me all the way to like Japanese cinema particularly in classical Japanese cinema because then you check the reviews and it's like oh it's like Ozu and this and that and then you go down there and holy crap it's amazing it's it's everything but yeah I you know I think there's a beautiful tone to all of these films as he negotiates the weight of existence and I think that's really what these films are is it's kind of like a negotiation with, I I like I think Sonatine is the film of a deeply depressed man. And then Hanabi is, is interesting because I think it's the film of a man who nearly died and didn't. And he's just kind of like looking around going like, okay, something has got to be next. Like, I can't just kill myself again. Like, you know, I gotta, I gotta do something else. And that's, that's kind of the film. It's, it's, you know, it's just sublimating into other art and he has various kind of like avatars within this. There's the character Katana was playing himself, Nishi the 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 kind of ex cop taking his his sick wife on one last road trip around Japan, and then Horeba, the the other detective played by Renosugi again, who's takes up art. He's paralyzed in in a shooting, and he just takes up art and he starts, you know, because his family leave. It's just like his, he got shot and he's paralyzed. So his family just left which is like this incredibly abrupt, cruel thing. But also, Frank, probably not that unrealistic. Probably something mm-hmm. that happens more often than you'd like to like to imagine. You know, that it's it's hard living with someone who suddenly needs a lot more stuff. Well, yeah, and him. there's you know, such a any strange household.
2: complexity layered in there, too, where, where he's introduced as as this guy who's like i right, spoil my daughter i'm gonna work all day and take her to the amusement park and then he just doesn't he he calls her It's like no we're not going to the amusement park yeah. so it's like you don't know, you get a sense that there's a lot more to their relationship it's a lot more complicated than he's letting on to his friends to begin with even before his accident you know so it's, it's kind of it's
1: yep yeah, no, it, mm. it's that was interesting actually looking at it this time because you're you're right. It's it's kind of like he dotes on his daughter. He loves her so much, and then he's just on a stakeout all day, and he's like constantly working. And then later on, Suzuma Terajima's character, who again plays a junior cop in this movie, is like talking about how he he kind of mentions how they were a real close knit family. And it's kind of like, do these police officers have any clue what's going on? Terajima's character, of course, has also met a girl because he got shot in the same. Uh, fraca that that uh, injured his colleague and and the girl he was dating who we don't see in the film but she you know he decides he's going to propose to her because she showed up to the hospital every day even though he does he didn't really like her he says like I didn't really <laughs> like her but then she showed up to the hospital every single day and that really touched me and there is some kind of a sentiment in that in that like he really you know, he looked, he actually had like this look beyond and he realized, you know, that marriage or a long-term relationship, there's something more to it than just, you know, your immediate superficial impressions of this and that. But then in his descri- description of Horibe's family, it's kind of like, does, you know, do these guys know what's going on yeah, at all? Yeah, it's hard to... Uh, <laughs> you know, very unreliable <laughs> it, it, narrators. It's not hard to like
2: imagine that they do not, considering, you know, one of the principles is Kitano at his best, perhaps most... <laughs> like removed you know he's so silent he says about five <laughs> things in this fucking movie it seems
0: like oh my god yeah it's like it's like weekend at bernie's level of <laughs> like he's literally just got like <laughs> little sunglasses on and he just kind of sits there and occasionally people talk at him it's fucking yeah awesome. it's so
2: it's like yeah he's supposed to be best friends with this this other detective that gets paralyzed he's known him for decades <laughs> it's like they fucking exchange three words basically <laughs>
1: It's honestly early in the movie. It's strange because I swear Kitano smiles more in the early parts of this movie than he ever has anywhere else in his career. And I swear it's just unsettling. (laughs) And it's just kind of like, because he doesn't say anything. People just talk to him, and it's like, and he just kind of smiles and chuckles. And then he still does cruel jokes. Like, there's one scene where uh, a guy throws a baseball too far and and it rolls to, to Kitano's feet. Kitano pretends he's about to throw the baseball back, and then he just throws it somewhere else. Just being just an absolute shithead, but then he goes home to his wife, who he apparently maybe really loves. It's like they're very unclear relationships, but it's it's also I think it's important when you look at something like Hanabi that it's like a realization that probably it's really just a film about Kitano. It's a it's a film about the men, particularly the women are very peripheral in these films, and really in I think all of Katanos' films. I don't think he's he's I don't think he's ever written a particularly nuanced female character. The one exception might be uh again i keep going back to a scene at the sea which is this interesting reconfiguration of the the lead female character towards the end of the film but like most of his films really are kind of they're they're about men being men and you know having their man thoughts and their man problems and the women are peripheral to that they can't the, the women can't really help them and they can't really bring them out of it you know there's this limitation to it which makes it unclear. I mean, his 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 trip for his wife is very generous in one sense, and it's it's good. But we don't really understand their relationship entirely because they never talk to each other. They just kind of hang out near each other, and maybe they're mm-hmm. maybe it's a strong relationship. They don't have to talk to each other, but it's also. Difficult to know, considering that Nishi we know is capable of in like insane levels of violence. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of weird, you know how how these things balance, and it's not. it's no, like his
0: number one mode of expression. You know, that's the that's the only time you get any emotion out of him is when he can, you know, stab someone's eye out or shoot them in the head. <laughs> it's or, just strange. And yeah, it's like, like he's that's, going that's home to his get. wife. So after the violence this. in these movies, uh,
2: <laughs> this one especially, is, is so bizarre because it's such a it's such a still movie, you know, and then <laughs> the, he'll punch someone and blood will just fucking
0: explode everywhere like you're playing Mortal Kombat or something. <laughs> like it's, just, it's goddamn nuts. <laughs> well, and, and the ways that he, that he kills people, I mean, not only is it extremely fucking, like, violent and, and gory, uh, but it's almost like he's, he's like a cat playing with a mouse, you know? There's the, the one scene where there's a couple of punks that are gonna rough him up or something, and he punches the one guy in the face and breaks his nose. And then the other guy tries to get him with a knife, stabs him, and he doesn't really react. And he just throws the guy on the ground and then stands over him, dangling the knife before he drops it. <laughs> Which is just like, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, it's, it's like blood and on it's, the canvas. It's these you know? little that touches. blood is,
2: is paint on the canvas in this movie, for sure. Like It's just such a a crazy thing. Like it, it, it's, I've never seen it, it quite used like this in any other film really it, it's just because it's such a strange juxtaposition because the majority of this this is not even a little bit of an action movie i would say the bank robbery that it's building toward uh, for the first half of the film is is just him via security camera footage walking up to a bank teller and saying nothing at all and then walking away with a bag full of money yeah. it's not it's not like we're no, watching michael no. Mann here no, he just drives <laughs> it's, a away and it's a speed limit yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's yeah. great it's fucking great and especially because there is there's this big buildup where you know he goes to this junkyard and uh <laughs> he tries to get like a police siren and a light and then he gets a car and he has to paint it so it looks like a cop car it's this whole thing and then yeah he just walks up and he's like eh. out of security camera drives away Twenty miles per hour. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's kind of procedural um, element to it, you know. I mean, because what what else is a bank? He brought a gun. It's not even a real gun. Ironically, it's worth noting within this film, as as in case it's not clear, this is this is uh, Katano's vision of police. Uh, he's not a gangster in this movie. He is he is a cop for no. part of the film, and then he is a retired cop, which I guess spins back to. I mean, his first film, Violent Cop, was also a pretty scathing vision of uh, law enforcement in Japan. It's one thing I, I just funny watching these movies. Like, Katana's movies are full of just casual, brutal violence and murder. And then, you know, you look over to Japan and it's like a man was shot in Japan. It's like it's the first person murdered there this year. And I'm like, how do they <laughs> counterpoint these things? Like, God, Outrage is like, I swear every Outrage movie is like a hundred people plus are murdered in them. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. like, is I don't think the gun violence can register there because like a guy had to build a gun just to murder the ex prime minister. There like was thirteen hundred
2: mass shootings this year or something.
0: I <laughs> know. <laughs> hey, like, yeah, we we have more violence in a day than Japan will have in a decade, basically.
1: I know, but there's still people online who are like, "See, gun control doesn't work," and it's like, "What?" Because one dude had to build one to kill a guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, I mean, if you're going full steampunk to like fucking kill a politician, I, I guess like, you earned it. How, at that how point. many
1: dumbass teenagers who have committed mass murder wouldn't have if they had to build the gun? That's all I'm saying. I don't think a lot. Of them, oh, I think yeah. a lot of them
0: would have copped out.
1: They'd been like, "Fuck, I'll play video games or whatever." Like it yeah. would have been. It
0: seems like a real pain in the ass. I mean, I I saw uh, how to blow up a pipeline, and that whole movie is just about like. You know, bumbling doofus, early twenties people trying to do the right thing and commit eco terrorism, but also like blowing themselves up in the process and really harming themselves. Whereas like now, it's like in America, it, it, yeah. That it, I could I could go on fucking Craigslist and buy a machine gun from a Walmart parking lot from some random stranger like in an hour if I needed to. It's it, there's no effort, no effort. Come on, um, yeah, doing, cheapens but, the whole thing. But you it really know, does, yeah it really does. Yeah, going going uh, back to
1: the but, movie which doesn't dwell too much on all of that.
0: <laughs> no, but but it I mean it ties in because it, it, the violence is it's so quick and brutal and and sudden uh it it really does kind of just underscore everything else the movie's doing. And the rest of the movie Myros, to, to your point is it's it's such a still and and methodical film and I think if this was in the hands of anyone else like I every time I watch a Catano film I'm just like Jesus fucking Christ if this was some American Hollywood film it would be a disaster. It's like oh no, the cancer wife and the ex cop going on one last trip. <laughs> yeah. That sounds yeah, I mean, uh, but but the place where this really shines is it's it's just like the uh the artwork uh, that Kitano's ex partner is is doing where he's kind of doing this like um I I am sure there's an actual art word for it, but essentially he's he's just using markers to create little dots, but that's pointillism. You know, pointillism. Yeah, there you go. the The little dots they give color and they give character to what he's doing. But really, the thing that makes it so striking is is all the stuff in between that negative space. and And that's what's great about how to be is it, it's it's all this stillness. And then when you get to the point where Takeshi Kitano is is ripping someone's eyeball out, it it just it makes it hit that much harder. So. Uh, I think it's
1: this is him at his full like we discussed earlier, like Sonatine has, I think was he was really starting to develop that visual grammar that that's really quintessential. Like uh, Kitano movies move like no one else's movies. And this is something I felt was and I I feel more justified in having, you know, gone back and rewatched these that I feel like his later films do lack a little bit. They don't have that same clean smoothness to them like the outrage films. They're they're kind like they're still recognizably katano, but they're not as like just pure as these. Uh, you know. Like one of the things that was interesting watching in later movies is he has like fade to blacks. I, there's not a single fade to black in any of these movies. It's these straight cuts and he is able to maintain tempo so perfectly with them in and kind of create easy to follow movement, you know, like all of the scenes. Like, like it's 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 very artistically done, but it's not like quote-unquote, art cinema and being difficult. Like, his movies are very smooth and easy to follow. The violence is largely implied or heavy, you know, the the key parts, like the, the parts of the violence that would be hard to do for special effects are completely elided over, they're completely suggested, but you never have that issue because his editing and construction of them is absolutely seamless. And this is something I think he pretty much just taught himself, like he developed himself um, and then on top of that, he still has room for, you know, his kind of interesting little breathing shots in between that kind of like reframe maybe part of a scene that we've seen, um, you know, kind of like not, you know, it's not exactly what we just saw, but it's kind of like a key image from it or something. Maybe he plays out the scene and it kind of like it's messing with the chronology of it a little bit, but it may it just makes sense to have it in there. And in Hanabi as well, he also has his paintings, which are all Real Takeshi Kitano paintings. Of, I assume he made most of them for the movie. you know, I I don't know. I think he has two daughters. So unless he really really hates one of his daughters, it would be really weird if he made that <laughs> many paintings of a family with one daughter, which mirrors the cop in the movie. So I'm I'm guessing he made them for the film. But I I do really like his painting style because again, it's it's again it's very um it's 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 very kind of like polished and distinct but also has this kind of rough amateurish element to it like it it looks it doesn't look like the clean lines of a keen professional artist it's like they're almost have like this childlike kind of quality to them but then in the the shading and the coloring and the details in the ideas behind them they're they're much more kind of like interesting works of art and i think it really comes to the forefront here in in this film that he he intersperses them as like the things that helped him to recover from his near death experience and it has a character in here using them for that element too trying to find meaning and struggling to find meaning and and it just it all meshes together in this film in a really i think a really beautiful way like i mean it's hard for me as i say this film is very special to me this is just one of those movies that just absolutely just took over my mind when i first saw it and it's never really left it it's like every other movie is kind of like how does it stack up to this one so but yeah i mean watching it again it's not it's not dulled no. at all for me and and you know it's mm-hmm. it's just a tremendous yeah film. i i don't think that's an unfair assessment frankly
2: i th- i think really as much as i I've, I've been a bit of a grumpy gus about a uh, particularly outraged stuff i think uh we watched easily two of the better films of the 1990s this, this week. So I think the, there's the, Hanabi is fucking incredible. Like it's just such a beautiful film. Like it is, it's just staggering. Like I don't, when it finds its cadence. And what separates for me this from the later work, and I think the only one of the, the previous films that we have covered that really kind of halfway gets there is Takeshi's, which has kind of a strange uh, lyricism to it, especially in the third act Um, but this is just such a a piece of poetry to me, like it's just I don't know there's something very distinct in his editing from this period where it's, if you say self-taught, that's not surprising at all because it doesn't follow traditional rules there's so much disjointed stuff in this editing and it lends it such a unique quality, uh even compared to something like Ozu, which Lord knows he didn't follow traditional like western formalism at all, but it's a lot more formalist work than what katano's doing he's just doing something that at the time was very new, and if you've seen a lot of this sort of broken editing now it's a lot of it's informed by by these films like these these were very influential
1: films. <laughs> And he's doing, like, really, he's... He got, like, <sighs> near the very opening of this film, there's this really great scene. we met, Steve mentioned it, where basically, like, two guys are, like... Two punks are, like, hanging out in his car. And so he confronts them. And, you know, having having known anything about Katano films, you're like, oh, he's gonna beat these guys up. And then we hear this thudding noise over a black screen, and we're like, oh, he just punched someone. But no, then the scene starts, and it's, no, it's the sound of a sponge hitting the windshield as he makes one of the punks clean his car, having dirtied it by having their lunch on the the hood. And it's like this very funny kind of like joke of like, oh, we thought that was him hitting him, but actually it was just, he made him wash it. And then later on, they cut back (laughs) to the scene because this scene actually you know it, it actually occurs later in the film it's like presaging it and then we find out no he did so it's it, so it's like yeah. so it's like this is kind of like joke again like an incredibly katano-esque joke but again also a completely cinematic joke a joke comprised entirely out of understanding the fundamentals of making a film that's really really funny honestly it's uh you know, a little misdirected. Almost reminds you like the opening of like Tati's *Jour de Fé with with like the the horse is neighing and it's like a, a, you know, a guy dragging a trailer and it's like merry-go-round horses and there's the sound of horses neighing and you're like, okay, I mean, that's, that's wistful and fun, you know, and then the car pulls on and then you see there's actually horses over the field behind it that were previously on, not visible. And you're like, oh no, there actually are horses in the scene. He's <laughs> not, you know, it's like, I'm breaking the rules, but I'm not actually breaking the rules, but I made you think about the yeah, rules. I- and that's... Katano right. does and that I, a lot.
2: Maybe I'm a little hyperfixated on editing because I, I was just studying it, but it's just... To me, this is one of the most beautifully edited films I've ever seen, frankly. I think it's just such a mm-hmm. remarkably yeah. put-together piece of work.
1: It is, yeah. and it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, I'd say, like, I think Katano kind of... He seems to know just how to put it together. Like, he shoots his scenes to, like assemble them in this way like, I like I I'm just kind of in awe of the way he puts it together because his film cause I am really struggling with it it's like it's not a it's not like an abstract methodology like the scenes flow very naturally and seamlessly but he just has these inserts and these kind of like ways that he weighs certain images and counter punches certain you know images with one another and stuff that it's it's like it's just Absolutely, like, you know, you would show this in an editing class. as like, the editing isn't just joining bits together. Editing creates meaning, you know? that That's what Kitano is doing throughout all of these films. He is creating meaning in the way that he counterpoints images and, and moves through them. That is more than just man walks into building cut-two-man-in-building, you know, it's, it's, he's he is at the top of his, his form here, and it really is something to behold.
0: Absolutely. Well, we gotta wrap this one up, cause we're, we're getting a little long on time, so, Adam Myros, what are you putting over this week? As per always, I, I didn't watch Jack shit, so
2: I'm gonna spend my time saying, uh, we're, we're gonna put over ourselves here, a little self-promotion. Um, what i did do is i took some time and i i compiled all of editor collins fun promo videos that you may have never seen if you're uh not a twitter user like any sane rational adult uh you avoid that shit uh you you could ch- search optimism vaccine on youtube we've got all that stuff compiled and we're going to be uh publishing full episodes uh there as well if you think there's going to be any like visual component you're going to get to stare at Steve's face well think again we're not doing that but do you know it's just another place to another place to find <laughs> the content uh so yeah uh, go ahead and check that
0: out if uh, if you're so inclined uh, appreciate it hmm jack what are you putting over this week i'm i am so full of hope
1: uh that i i have just started as of yesterday started the new video game final fantasy 16 and it's it's really impressive so far. I'm really enjoying it. And I uh, I say this some I I've played all the mainline Final Fantasy games, and I I really do love the franchise as much for my memories attached to having always played it as much as any of the individual games actually being really good. Um, some of them I think certainly are. Some of them aren't so good. Um. This one is it's it's really good so far. It really feels like they kind of maybe finally made a coherent battle system in one of the games where they talk, which I don't think they've ever managed to do previously. Except for 10. I guess that one had a pretty good battle system, but they talked really slow and it was annoying. The cinematics in this are actually really great ever the voice acting. It's it's honestly it's really impressive. So it could get back to me in an episode or two when I'm still putting things over and see if I still put over that game or if I'm like, it fucking <laughs> sucks now. So, but I'm Would hopeful. Do you like to weigh
0: in on the Irish accents that are... are probably I'm not sure which one,
1: the... there's a few bit characters. Uh, there was one person who I thought was Irish, but no, it turned out, well, I didn't think, I was like, her accent was really weird, and at times it sounded like maybe an Irish person hiding their accent, but it turns out the voice actress for that is actually Norwegian. So she just said a weird accent to begin with. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's really good. And they got Ralph Innocent who has just one of the best voices ever, you know, and he's, he's talking away and, uh, it's very, it's very good. I, I just, I kind of hope it keeps working.
0: If it does, I think I'm going to have a really great week or two ahead of me. Oh my God. I'm, this is going to be probably the first Final Fantasy game that I buy since nine. <laughs> so
1: yeah yeah and and honestly i recommend and so far i think you should i've haven't found a good like final fantasy 15 don't don't bother just mm-hmm.
2: but even this one, i yeah. am, am vaguely curious and i'm <laughs> i have no experience with final fantasy but i think this one looks a little bit more up my alley than most
0: Mm-hmm. I believe in a past life, Mario. You would have called this a gnome. It looks game. a little
2: less gnome.
0: We got enough. We <laughs> got enough high, like, high def monstrosities. <laughs>
2: then, then I can deal with that. It's just when you get more on that fable end of things, you know. I I don't want to see any uh, mm-hmm. any elves. No elves, but uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Dragons, no elves, yes. No elves, <laughs> strong, strong. No elf <laughs> policy. Strong, Starry. strong. No elf policy. Yeah. Uh well this week I'm gonna put over something I probably should have put over last week, but I didn't. Uh I went and I saw uh I saw Southland Tales in, in an actual movie theater and Richard Kelly was there and it was the uh it was the can cut and it was it was fucking good. And I hadn't watched it in a very, very, very long time and I didn't like it when I first saw it. And you know, I I'm glad that I had the opportunity to kind of, you know, reassess this one cuz I th- I think it's fucking fantastic and Richard Kelly seems like a really nice dude, very normal and and just just seems like a nice guy. Also, shout out to the Oriental Theater in Milwaukee because they did a uh like a moderated discussion as opposed to audience Q&A and that is always the preferred route. Uh, I I could Really live happily the rest of my life, never having to experience the secondhand embarrassment of an audience Q&A <laughs> ever again. So, uh, I just the moment a guy's like, uh, more of a comment than a question. Jesus fucking Christ, put a gun in my mouth. Give me the katana on the beach. The cuff, did you were you not on our <laughs> uh, Richard <yes>. Kelly episode? <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, I wasn't. I, was I was gonna say, it wasn't on Richard Kelly. That
2: long we
0: <laughs> no, it's like a couple of years ago, uh, but yeah, so, anyways. Hey, if you like the podcast, do us a big favor. There's a link in the description and that link will take you to our Patreon page. And why would you want to be a patron? Well, uh, first of all, you get to give us money and, and there's so much joy in giving. Is there not joy in yeah. giving, gentlemen?
2: Well, when you have things to give, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus when I, when what? I pull a and rob that bank, I will be the, the most generous sell. man on
0: earth. But as of now, just got to pay the rent. I know, you know. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> That's true. But, hey, how do we pay for things? Podcasting is expensive. we got to pay for hosting. Uh, you know, what if a microphone breaks? Jesus, Myros's computer just took a shit. That could be a serious issue. How do we pay for things? And the answer is through your love and support, dear patrons. But you give us money, it's not like you don't get jack shit. You get a lot of shit, actually. Uh, if you donate at any level whatsoever, I will send you a movie from my personal collection, assuming you live in the continental United States, I'm going to send it to your motherfucking doorstep. You're going to get a movie from me. Will it be good? Maybe. Will it be a Blu-ray? Maybe. Will it be a VHS tape? Entirely possible. I've got a VHS copy of Leprechaun in the Hood just staring at me over here. Maybe that will end up in your mailbox. Who's to say? Now, you also get access to the Optimism Vaccine Patreon feed, and this gives you uh, just tons of backlog stuff that is only available to patrons. That's you know exclusive podcast episodes. That's written stuff that we did in the past. All kinds of goodies. You get the goodies. Now, if you donate at a higher level, let's say five dollars, you get to vote on episodes. You know, we'll put up a poll every once in a while. You get to fucking vote. You get to vote. Uh, and on top of that, you get your name read right out in the air. So, Myros, who are our five and above? Uh, we patients, have C W W, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paul. God bless every single one of them. Now, if You want to, you can, you can be a real all-star and you can donate at the $25 level. And whether that's a one-time thing, you want to bump it back down after that, or you want to keep it going because you love us and you support us and you're just a good person. That's cool too. But at that $25 level, you actually get to pick an episode. You dictate it. And that's how we got Hell's a Poppin'. And we got another one coming too. Uh, Not, not how we got, we got another one coming too. Yeah. We got another one coming in the pipeline it'll be coming shortly so yeah wonderful opportunity you get to tell us what to watch and i've said it before and i'll say it again uh, our patrons are wonderful people they have us watch yeah, yeah. we
2: also do we also did, to, did to finally get around to posting that bonus episode we, so we we have a, a newly posted patreon bonus <laughs> the one on i thought the, was already posted the jalal merhai billy blanks spectacular uh expect no mercy
0: yeah all my Marehigh Mamas and my blank boys out there, we got something special for you on the Patreon. So make sure you throw down a couple bucks so you can get access to that. Uh, Jack, you know any Marehai Mamas? Uh no. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Jalal Merheim knows any Marehai Mamas if we're being honest with her. Hey, right. His
1: wife was in that, with that one movie. Well, expect no mercy. She she yeah, had her car true. stolen. That's love, love is putting your wife in your movie. That's yeah
0: important. That's true. That's true. It is. That's what it's all about, folks. Uh, But yeah, if you have any uh, questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimism vaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros standing by, as always, smashing that refresh button, uh, looking at everything you have to say or just uh, interrogating me on my PayPal purchases because my PayPal account is linked to the podcast account. Don't ask. Don't tell our patrons. that. That It sounds
2: suspicious to Um, me. Yeah, much less probably to them as well. It sounds suspicious. No.
0: No, it's cuz I got I got my my actual email address, PayPal thing account was was hacked at some point, so then I had to I just attached it to the Optimism vaccine. I pay for fucking parking. That's all I do. It has nothing to do with the podcast. It's just no, Byros has been an email buying some
2: talking. influencers um, books or some shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is a pro Carolyn Callaway podcast. I want you to know that, Byros. We love her and all of her scams anyways uh yeah you could also tweet at us at optimism vaccine on twitter we'd love to hear from you and i think that about wraps it up more katano coming your way soon uh no steve for two weeks so feel free to celebrate if you want to shoot off some some fireworks on the beach like takeshi katano and his friends uh, feel free to do that it's, it's something we celebrating so we'll be back next week it sounds like i have something to say but i don't